We've been making our way through this marvelous letter of 1 John on Sunday mornings. And as we've been doing it, we've been noticing that John uh, speaks to three central tests, three ways that we can really look at our lives and know that we are Christians and know that we are born again. The first one is, if you want to call it a, a moral test, uh, a test that takes a look at our hearts to see uh, where we're at in the way that we live before the Lord. The other one is a doctrinal test to see if we believe the truth about who God is and, and what he's like in our lives. But then the third one that John comes back to time and time again in this letter is the love test. In other words, John will tell you, I can tell somebody who really knows God, I can tell somebody who really is born of God by whether or not they have love in their heart for other Christians. That's what we're going to be taking a look at, beginning here at verse 7 in 1 John chapter 4, where we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now I know the first thing many of you think of when you read those verses, you say, that's kind of catchy, somebody should make a song like that. And of course there is a popular song, some people regard it as a children's song, I don't. It's a beautiful little song based on this text telling us that we should love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. John begins these verses in a striking way in the original language that he was writing in. Basically what he's saying is loved, love. In other words, you're the loved. You're beloved of God. Now you, the ones who are loved, go out and love. In other words, we're not commanded to love one another so that we can earn God's love. God's not standing up in heaven with his arm folded saying, I'm not going to love you until you start loving other people. No, God gives us his love. He showers it upon us. And then he says, now you go love other people. We love one another because we're loved by God and we've received that love and we live in light of it. Now, as I've said before, John over and over again is putting this emphasis on loving one another within the body of Christ, and it's a powerful emphasis. But here in these first couple verses, he shows us why it's so important. Notice what he says here in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Friends, if love is of God, then if we say that we're born of God, and if we claim to know God then we should be able to love one another in the body of Christ. I think it's amazing how he puts it here in verse 7. He says, everyone who loves is born of God. In other words, if you're born of God, there's going to have evident in your life a love. Now, I think this is important. Because when we come to Jesus Christ, when we are, and I don't know how this phrase strikes you, Years ago, it was used very commonly. I don't know what it sounds like in yours when I say the phrase, born again. Maybe you think of something very foreign. Maybe you think of something very distant from you. Like, I'm a Christian, but they're a born-again Christian. As if there's two different types of Christians. Some are just kind of regular, garden-variety Christians, and others who are the super-duper born-again Christians. And it's a common way of thinking for some people. 
But the Bible tells us that we aren't really Christians unless we are born again or born from above. And if we really are born again, if we really are born of God, there's going to be some evidence to it. In other words, the only difference is not, well, once I was destined for hell, now I'm destined for heaven. It's not just a change of destination, nor is it just a change in what you do with your time on a Sunday morning. There's a change in your life. There's a love in you that was not there before. Christians aren't just forgiven. They don't just have a different destination. They just don't do some different things. There's a love in their life that there was not before. Why? Because they're born of God. And if you take a look at the end of verse 7, because they know God. They know him. Now, there are several different words in the ancient Greek language that John wrote in that can be translated to know in English. One of the words has to do with knowing something by intuition. Do you know what I mean by that? Nobody has to tell you. You just know it. You know, I think sometimes women have a much better gift and much better quality for that than men, don't they? They just know. And they just know women's intuition or whatever it is. Nobody had to tell them. They didn't need to see the evidence. They just know it to be the case. That's one kind of knowledge, but that's not the word that John uses here. Because there's another Greek word that describes knowledge by experience. Now, that's a different kind of knowledge, isn't it? You can know something by intuition, or you can know it by experience. And when John says, who knows God, he's talking about this knowledge that comes by experience. So friends, if you have experienced God, it's going to show in your life. There's going to be a love in your life. Now, isn't it funny that sometimes Christians can get together and be all excited about their experience of God? Oh, what a marvelous experience. What a great experience. What a great experience. And then almost before they leave the church room together, they're gossiping about each other. They're backbiting. They're stabbing one another in the back. Friends, there's something wrong with that experience of God. Because if a person truly experiences God, it's going to show up as love in their life. Why? Again, verse 7, because love is of God. The kind of love that John is talking about here is what the Bible calls agape love. You know, there's all different kinds of love, aren't there? I mean, I can say, uh, I love to eat a double-double from in and out I love to go surfing. And I can say, I love my wife. And hopefully I don't mean love the same way in every context when I say those things, right? There's a lot of different kinds of love. Well, the kind of love that John is talking about when he says love is of God is the kind of love that comes from God. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding. It gives without expecting repayment. It is the God kind of love. And since it is God's kind of love, it comes into our life as we have a relationship with Him. If we want to love one another more, then we need to receive more of God's love, and draw closer to him in relationship. Maybe you've heard this illustration before, but I think it's very true and helpful for our understanding. Every human relationship is like a triangle. You have one person down here and another person down here. They're like at the base of the triangle. And if you want to love that other person more, think of God as being at the top of that triangle. And as both people move up the triangle closer to God, they're also coming closer to each other. 
And that's the God kind of love. When we draw closer to God, we have more love for other people. Weak relationships are made strong when both people draw close to the Lord. And so he says in verse 7, Everyone who loves is born of God. And friends, maybe you're confused by that. Because maybe you know some people who aren't born of God. They're not Christians. Maybe they're atheists. Maybe they deny that God even exists. Yet they seem to be pretty loving people. And you scratch your head and you say, how can it be that everybody who loves is born of God? I mean, think about it on this day, a mother's love. A mother who loves and cherishes her child and say, that's something so precious there and cares for that child and say, surely that person must be born of God. Well, maybe not, but then how can it be consistent with what John says here in the Bible? Well, first of all, let's remember that every human being is created in the image of God. There's something of the image of God upon every human being. So in some capacity, we have an ability to love after the fashion of God's love because we're created in his image. But we also have to say that even the best of human love apart from God falls short of God's love. Think of it this way. Uh, Look around you in the room right now. There's light all over the place. There's light coming from the ceiling. There's light coming from stage lighting. And as you take a look at those lights, you say, well, yeah, that's light. That's fine. It's it's bright. It's sufficient for the purpose and all that. You take all this light and go out and compare it to the sun on a bright, sunny day. There's no comparison, is there? I mean, there's light, and then there's light. Well, my friends, there's love, and then there's the love of God, which spreads forth light and love into this whole universe. So, my friends, there's an analogy of human love, but the greatest love, the God kind of love, it only comes as we're born of Him. Why? Because if you notice what he says in verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What a glorious truth. Friends, I just wish I could convince you of it this morning. I wish somehow I could twist your mind or, or hypnotize you in some way to make you convinced that God loves you. I don't know why it's such a difficult thing for us sometimes. I know it's difficult as a preacher. I know that as a preacher standing before you this morning, it's far, far easier to make you feel guilty and condemned than it is for you to feel loved by God. Oh, it's easy to make you feel guilty and condemned. I mean, especially if you love the Lord. If you love God and you want to serve Him, I'll just start like this. Did you read your Bible enough this last week? Did you pray enough? When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus Christ? I keep going on with questions like that, and after a few minutes, it's, stop, stop. You're feeling so condemned. I wish it was that easy to persuade people of the love of God. I don't know what it is in our hearts sometimes. Maybe it's pride. Maybe we don't want to receive God's love until we feel like we're worthy of it, because we're not taking charity from nobody after all. Oh, friends, that's going to be an obstacle for you to receive the love of God. But if we could just have it convinced in our heart that God is love, that he's so rich in love and compassion that it can be used to describe his very being. Now, when we say God is love, we're not saying everything about him. Love is an essential aspect of his character, and it colors everything in his nature. 
But God's love doesn't eliminate his holiness. God's love does not eliminate his righteousness or his perfect justice. But friends, when God is righteous, it's a loving righteousness. When he's holy, it's a loving holiness. When he's just, it's a loving justice. Everything God does in one way or another expresses and reflects his love. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe it? I don't know if I do all the time. Because if I really believed it all the time, why would I act sometimes as if God was out to get me? Or think that he was just kind of laying it on thick on me because he's mad about me, mad at me about something. Or why would I think that sometimes God is sort of on my bad side and I've got to watch it and he's just waiting in heaven to throw some kind of thunderbolt down upon me? You see, my friends, if we really believe that God is love and everything that he does towards us is colored by that nature of love, I think we'd have a little bit different perspective. You know, sometimes my children have a hard time believing that I love them. Sometimes when they ask for something and I won't give it to them, they're convinced it's because dad is on some kind of vendetta against them. Dad just, you know, dad, if you loved me, you'd give me this, wouldn't you? They may not say that, but dad knows that, you know, as bright as my 10-year-old is, I'm just not going to give him the keys to the car. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard for my children to believe that I love them when I spank them. And for all the this is going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me stuff, it wears a little thin with them. And at that moment, it's hard for them to believe that dad really loves them. But I do, don't I? Matter of fact, I wouldn't be disciplining them if I did not love them. If I really didn't love them, if I really didn't care, I'd let them do whatever their own hearts desired, and I would never try to train them and correct them. But I do love them. Now, it's very easy for me to process all this as a parent. But in my own relationship with God, sometimes I stand back and say, you don't really love me because you won't give me what I want. (laughs) You don't really love me because... Uh, you're spanking me right now when I'd rather go out and play. No, but you see, God is love, and everything, everything he does to us is affected by that nature of love. Let me say something else that it means. It means that there is no sinner beyond the reach of God's love as long as they are in the land of the living. Friends, I'm standing here before you this morning to tell you that there is no limit to God's love, that there's no boundary to His grace. It's extended to the vilest of the vile, to the most sinful of sinners, to those who have nothing in them that God could ever deservedly latch on to. God still loves them and wants them to come to repentance and to be born anew in Him. So friends, God is love. But on the same token, we really can't turn it around, can we? I can't say God is love and vice versa. Because although I can say God is love, I can't say love is God. Because love does not define everything in the character of God. In addition to that, the way that most people use the term love, they're not thinking of true love, the God kind of love, are they? No, instead, they're thinking of that kind of squishy, namby-pamby, have-a-nice-day kind of love. 
that really just values being nice instead of really wanting what's best for the other person. I'm so glad that God doesn't love me with that kind of love, but he really wants what's for my best. So friends, how few of us really believe, really know that God is love. And we need to receive it and let it sink down deeply into our being. If we do, it'll affect our lives. And he continues on with the same thought coming into verse 9. Please look at it with me. He says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us. Do you understand what that means? He says, I'm going to tell you something that shows forth the love of God. To manifest just means to show forth. So here's where the love of God is shown forth. Verse 9 that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, friends, what is love? What does love mean? I think every human being who's ever walked this earth, even if they've never articulated that question with the words of their mouth, they've had it in their heart. And John's going to tell us, I'll tell you what love is. Love is the fact that God the Father sent his son sent him from the ivory palaces of heaven down to this earth as a humble man to live and to walk among humble men and to die a humiliating death, not only as a servant, but as a criminal, and to give us life. And that was a sacrifice for God the Father. Now, friends, I know I'm treading on holy ground here. I'm, I'm coming up to sacred mysteries. I'm talking about things having to do with the Holy Trinity. And friends, we don't understand it all, do we? We don't fully understand how there can be one God in three persons, but there are. And the Father sent the Son to this earth to die for our sins and to accomplish our salvation. And friends, you might readily understand how that shows you the love of Jesus. Well, of course Jesus loves me. He died on the cross for me. I want you to see this morning exactly what John's saying. John's telling us that it also shows the love of God the Father. And some people might not think so. They might think, well, it shows that God didn't care much, very much about Jesus because just go forth, I'll have you do the dirty work. If God really loved him, he would have done it himself. No, my friends, you know this as a parent, don't you? If you had the choice between your self-suffering and having to send your child to suffer, you would gladly suffer in, your play, in their place. It takes more love for you to send your child. And friends, it was a sacrifice for the Father to send the second person of the Trinity and a sacrifice for Him to pour the judgment that we deserved out upon God the Son. And I think this is important for us to understand because I dare say that there's some people here this morning you don't really understand the fatherly love that God has towards you. I don't know why. Maybe it was because you grew up in a home and there wasn't a father there who was the best father. And you grew up just with a misunderstanding or maybe a, a never really a fulfillment of a father's love in your life. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was some other authority figure in your life that sort of colored in a bad way this whole idea of a father's love towards you. Maybe, maybe you have a misunderstanding of the Bible. And you think that the Bible teaches about this mean old God in the Old Testament who's always mad at people and always killing people and, and sending out fire in heaven and all sorts of other bad things. And oh, everything was terrible until the nice Jesus came along. And the nice Jesus called out to the mean old God. And he said, please don't be mean to them anymore. 
And maybe if you think that's how it works in heaven with the mean old God the Father and the nice Jesus, I'd much rather deal with Jesus. You think, you've got it all misunderstood. My friends, that's wrong thinking. The Father loves you too. And he demonstrated that love by sending Jesus Christ. And Jesus showed that love in his ministry. The same love that Jesus showed in his ministry was the love that was in the Father heart of God. And you can receive that healing power in your Father's love. So the Father sent the Son, verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that marvelous? Why did God send Jesus to to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card? You know, do not pass go, do not collect $200 to send some fire insurance your way? Is that why the Father sent the Son? No, so that you could live through him. Friends, God wants you to live with him and through him. That's love. It's Mother's Day, holiday. Maybe you'll be visiting some relatives you don't usually visit. Mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever. And maybe some of them, when you're driving away from the house tonight after having dinner there, you'll be saying to yourself or to someone else in the car, it's nice to visit them, but I'm so glad they don't live with us. You know what I'm talking about. Well, friends, God not only wants you to visit He wants you to live with him, and that's how much he loves you. He really loves you that much that we might live through him. And that's why God has sent his only begotten son. Friends, conceivably, God the Father could have sent some flunky angel to go and die on a cross for us, but no, that would have never done. He had to send his best, and he sent him to do The biggest thing that could ever be done, die, a humiliating death on the cross. And he did it for who? Did you notice this at the end of verse 10? It says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Who did God the Father send God the Son to die for? For sinners. I mean, friends, I don't mean to put anybody down. You look around us in this room and we're no bargain to God. I mean, we might like to think that way. You might like to think, you know, God was looking over the earth for the most worthy and the smartest and the best looking and all the most wonderful people. And those are the ones that he's drawn to himself. Friends, Jesus Christ died for sinners. And you might think of yourself, you know, as somebody rich and famous or influential or popular. And there they are. The assassin's gun is trained upon them. And you, in a dramatic moment, you leap in front of the gun and take the bullet and you lay down your life for somebody. Well, because look, they're so popular and famous and good. I'll lay down my life for them. But then what if the gun is trained upon a a skid row bum? What if the the gun is trained upon a, a criminal? Some gangbanger, somebody who much of society thinks of as worthless, are you going to jump in front of the gun then? A lot of us say, well, let him die. He deserves it. I'm so glad Jesus jumped in front of the bullet for us when we were sinners, when we did not deserve it. That's how great his love is for us. That's why John can say in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Friends, there's nothing remarkable about us loving God. That's just common sense. I just think it means you're not stupid. 
I mean, what else can there be? He loves you so much. He gave you everything you have. He gives you the breath that you breathe, the life that you live. It's nothing, it's nothing remarkable for us to love him. Uh, But for him to love us, that's love. That's the greatness of his love. And so we come to verse 11. Might I say that this is maybe the tough verse that we have to deal with today because it tells us what we have to do. He says, Beloved, in other words, hey, all you, you're loved by God, right? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I tell you, there's one word in there, one word. And for you folks who like to mark in your Bible and make notes, which I think is a great thing, don't, don't cross out this one word, because it's an important one. It's just two letters. It's the word so. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you know what that means? It means there's to be a correlation between the two loves. In other words, the way that God loves you, that's the way that we're supposed to love other people. First of all, I think this is amazing of God. Because when he pours out all this love upon us, his response is to say, not love me more, but go out and love one another more. You know, that's just how Jesus was. In John chapter 13, at the Last Supper, this last Passover meal that Jesus was having with his disciples, they all came in and they had this meal, but when they came in the door, nobody washed one another's feet. Washing the feet in that culture was an important custom, not just because it felt good, I mean, although that would feel pretty good to walk in somebody's home and have them wash your feet, but was because it just made the meal more pleasant. We kind of don't grab onto it because we sit at tables when we eat, right? And our feet are, you know, down below and they're underneath the table and you can't see them and, you know, you can't smell them or whatever. But back then when they would eat, they would lay down on one arm kind of at a fancy meal. And so your feet were kind of pretty much at nose and eye level. And so a bunch of dirty feet, it kind of took away from the ambiance of the meal, if you know what I mean. But washing the feet was the job of the lowest servant in the house. And none of the disciples wanted to say, well, I'll be the lowest servant, so none of them washed each other's feet. So after the meal, Jesus ties an apron around himself and takes a towel and a basin of water, and he goes around one by one, and he washes the disciples' feet. How would you feel if you were one of the disciples? You'd feel, oh, I feel so stupid. I, I should have done it. Now Jesus is doing it. And you'd feel pretty weird. At the same time, when Jesus got done, Jesus said, guys, I've got something to say to you. Now, I know what I would have said if I was Jesus. And aren't we glad that I'm not, you know, because (laughs) the New Testament would have looked a lot different. If I was Jesus, I would have said, okay, guys, I did it. I washed all your stinking feet. (laughs) Now, what about mine? Come on, there's a toe for each one of you. And a heel for the other two? While you're down there, maybe a little pedicure. Let's go, guys. I did it for you, now you do it for me. But you know, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says in John 13, 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Friends, the proper response for us when we receive the love of God is to love one another. 
That's where it leaves us. You guys have to love one another. I mean, you have to. There's no way out of it. You have to do it. If you're born of him, if you know him, if you've received his love, you have to. And it's going to mean practical action. Has somebody offended you? Do you need to reconcile with somebody? Then, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh, no, but wait a minute, David. You don't understand. They're wrong, and I'm right. Well, when God reached out in love to you, I think he was right, and we were wrong, but he still did it. Oh, no, but you don't understand, David. They've really insulted me. It's just over the top. I think we did the same to God, and he reached out in love towards us. And say, no, you don't get it, David. They're so undeserving. They're such jerks. You wouldn't believe it. I don't need to reconcile with them. And friends, I think we were worse than that when God reached out his redeeming love towards us. So we have to do it. We have to love one another. And if we do not love one another, how can we say that we've been born of God and that we've received the love that he has for us? Love is one of the proofs that we're taught to look for. Friends, if you had a pipe in your home that was clogged, you know, water kept going into it, but it didn't come out, maybe just in drips here and there, you'd either clean that pipe out or you'd replace it. It'd be useless as a pipe. Friends, just so God puts his love into us as if we were pipes, that it might flow out. Are you clogged up? Need a little Drano from the Holy Spirit here this morning to clear you, to fill you, so that his love can flow through you. Let's pray and ask the Lord to do just exactly that in our lives, both in our prayers, in our hearts, in our song. Lord, now we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. So we ask, Lord, that you deepen our understanding, just quicken our minds be able to receive what you want us to from you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the precious presence of your spirit here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.